Thank you. Well, it's so good to be back with you guys and what a difference a year makes in this new building and, and see so many new faces and run into some old friends too while I'm here. Well, believe it or not, I did not choose Mark 5 because of my name. Although if you wondered where it came from, there you go. Um, but as I was praying for today, I just kept coming back to that passage in Mark 5 and I believe that there's some really sweet nuggets for each of us um, in there. So starting in verse 22, we see this man Jairus, the synagogue leader, right? We see his desperation. He knew that his daughter was dying. In verse 22, it says, Jairus came there. He went to where Jesus was. And seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly. There was this pleading, this posture of begging. My little daughter's dying. Please come put your hands on her so that she will be healthy or healed and live. And perhaps today you're sitting here and you can relate to Jairus. Maybe you or someone in your family is battling an illness or, or maybe an addiction or loss of job or death of a loved one. Maybe like Jairus, you're here just desperate for a miracle. Further in, in verse 35, we see the response of these other men. It says that while Jesus was still speaking, some men from the house of Jairus, um, they came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and they said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? See, these men came from the home where the little girl was. They knew that she had already passed away. And in a way, they're just telling the truth, right? They're just saying, stop bothering Jairus, or stop bothering Jesus, Jairus. It's too late. See, maybe they lacked the belief that Jesus could do something this miraculous, or, or who knows, maybe they were jealous that Jesus would choose this miracle over another. But in some way, you might relate to these men. Maybe you're staring at the challenges in your life and you've lost hope. Maybe you don't feel that you are worthy of a miracle today. Verse 38 says that when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion. There were these people that were crying and they were wailing loudly. And he went in and he said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. See, maybe you are like these people that were gathered at his home. See, they were grieving loudly, but they were scoffing at the chance of a miracle. Maybe you're weary after begging God for a miracle that hasn't happened yet. Maybe you're doubting his goodness or his ability to revive what appears to be dead in your life. That business deal that already went wrong, the, the family member that you prayed for but they died, the job that was lost or the affair that happened, the infertility, the addiction, the depression that just won't go away, See, wherever you are today, I pray that the Lord might use this message to encourage you, maybe to reveal that the challenges that you're facing can actually be a catalyst for you to passionately pursue the calling that I believe God has placed on your life. Or maybe it's just to confirm the purpose that you already know that he has for you. In May of 2001, I walked through the doors of this small, pregnancy help organization that is now Claris Health. And the interim director handed me the keys, gave me a quick tour, and then I actually never, never saw her again. 
um, to this day. The carpet in that place, I remember it was faded blue and there were these floral stencils on the wall and there was a hallway that was filled with diapers, stacks of diapers that led to this bathroom where women would have to carry their own urine to self-administer a pregnancy test. There was just this one small counseling room, one shared office and this lingering smell of Chinese food that grew stronger every hour as the fast food restaurant below us would began preparing for their day. This is the actual original building. And trust me, pregnant women and Chinese food are never, ever a good mix. And before the director left, she pointed to this project on the floor and she said, this has to go out soon. It's a fundraising appeal and it includes a packet of seeds. And, and then she walked out the door and I sat there all alone, surrounded by hundreds of packets of seeds, wondering what I had done. This was definitely not the life that I had imagined. See, I grew up in Holland and, and in Germany as a missionary kid. I was the oldest and the only girl in my family. My brothers and I were the only American and biracial kids in our Dutch and then German school. In high school, I went on, we moved to Oklahoma, I became a football trainer and I worked in a restaurant. And for most of my life, I'd been surrounded by guys, really tough guys. And I was used to not fitting in and working hard and fighting through challenges, but this, a, a 23-year-old director of a tiny organization that specialized in women's issues, is terrifying. See, coming to Claris for me was my first big act of surrender. It wasn't the beautiful surrender of a child that falls asleep in their mom's arms. It's more like that toddler that you've seen at Target when the mom's dragging them down the aisle, not giving them the toy that they want. For many months, I had been running from this job and I was supposed to be a consultant or a lawyer. I had Pepperdine loans to pay off. But the women on the board of Claris thought that I'd be the perfect fit for this job and they just wouldn't let it go. And I remember sitting in my car one day and crying out to God and you know, at 23, I think the prayer was something like, God, if you're gonna make me do this job, then you better make it abundantly clear. Don't recommend those desperate prayers or, or demanding prayers because the next day I got a call from Chuck Norris. Um, for those of you that are under the age of 45, he used to be on a show called Walker, Texas Ranger and he and his wife were expecting twins and they wanted me to work as their baby nurse at night. And the only way that I could take that night job is if I had a part-time day job, which is what Claris was at that time. And there it was, my abundantly clear answer from God and this massive brick thrown into the plans that I had for my life. A few weeks after I started at Claris, I was sitting in that little counseling room across from a girl named Kimberly and I could tell that she'd been crying and she told me that she was pregnant and there was no way that she could have a baby. She knew that her parents would be disappointed, she wouldn't be able to finish school, she thought. Her world was crashing around her and she planned to have an abortion and at that point I had no formal training, I, I didn't know how to counsel, but as she talked I could feel every word that she said. I had lived through those questions myself. See, when I was 19, I, I faced my own unintended pregnancy and the, the fear of disappointing my parents and losing that Pepperdine scholarship that I had earned. And I too walked into a clinic. It was a lot different though than Clarice. And I remember begging this staff member there for help. And she told me that I had my whole life ahead of me and that she could make the pregnancy go away. And even though it went against everything I believed and 
I, I knew that those words weren't true. I, I felt trapped and I felt like abortion was my only option. And I made that devastating choice and then I vowed to punish myself for the rest of my life. Isaiah 30, 18 says, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Therefore he will rise up to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. See, God in his infinite mercy led me to Claris, first as a client that was in desperate need of my own healing from my past. And I joined their post-abortion support group and my life was forever changed. I met other women who'd been through similar experiences and I began to accept God's forgiveness and eventually to forgive myself. And so as I sat in that counseling room with that girl Kimberly as a brand new director and I listened to her story and her fears, it started to become abundantly clear to me that God had placed me at Claris for a very specific reason, that he wanted to use my past my past pregnancy and that abortion and the mercy and the healing that I experienced as a result to be the catalyst for this beautiful calling. So he was drawing me out of hiding and he was asking me to lead from my own broken places, to sit with people who need to know they're not alone and to build a model of care that addresses their unique needs. Psalm 51:17 says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart you, God, will not despise. See, without the brokenness of my past, I'm not sure that I would be able to do the work that I do today. See, walking through that experience, that past abortion, it crushed my pride. It created this deep sense of empathy and an awareness that I am in desperate need of a savior. No matter what you are going through today, I know that God loves you and that he sent his son to be with you even in the most devastating moments. So I believe now looking back that the most excruciating pain in our lives is always bathed in the exploding love of our father. That those broken hearts are wrapped in his embrace. See, often the, the very thing that God is calling us to is discovered through a process of surrender. It's in that process that an exchange occurs, right? We lay down our human, our flawed, and our selfish plans, and we pick up his perfect plans for our life. The act of surrender requires both obedience and it requires letting go. It's a posture of these open hands because when we face challenges, we're tempted to grip harder, right? To take things into our own hands, into our own control. But the most beautiful thing about the surrender is that once we let go, God doesn't just transform our lives. We begin to take our eyes off of ourselves and consider how he wants us to engage and to care for the world around us. You guys, it's a world that is filled with people who need us, each and every person in this room. In May, I, I celebrated my 22nd anniversary at Claris, and um, over the past two decades, I have been a part of watching this organization grow to now operate three physical locations and 
a mobile clinic that drives to community partner sites all over LA to, to bring vital um, services to people who need it. And we also offer virtual services now that reach people in need around the nation. We have medical, mental health, education, and support services for not just individuals, but also for families before, during, and after these pregnancy or sexual health choices. See, an unexpected pregnancy also leaves people feeling misunderstood or abandoned or trapped by the circumstances or sometimes it's by other people in their lives. And we have fought to, to remain this safe, compassionate space for women and men to process all these challenging situations in a world that often wants to politicize their pregnancy. So when people come to Claris, they're not a number. Their appointments aren't six minutes long. They're treated like family. And this type of personalized care is critical, I think maybe now more than ever. He's seeking our calling in life is a, it's a lifelong journey. And over the past two decades, I've experienced incredible success and so many failures. But as I stand here, I don't think about those things. What I do is I see these hundreds of faces in my mind of the people who've been impacted with me and who've impacted me along this journey. I remember holding um, Kienda's hand through this incredibly difficult labor and, and watching her little girl blossom into the smartest and the, one of the funniest kids you'll ever meet. See, Kienda went on and she launched her own doula business to become a doula to other single moms so they have support during their labor. I remember caring for baby Malik when his twin brother Makai fought for his life and standing in a hospital room, sobbing with his mom and dad as they took Makai off of life support. Today, Malik's mom, Talisha, yes, Talitha and Talisha, Talisha continues to turn every challenge into an opportunity to grow and to support other moms. I picture Celeste who used her experience on the board at Claris and as an adoption attorney to launch a nonprofit that is solely focused on supporting birth moms and they're creating radical adoption reform around the nation. And I'll never forget talking with Michael about his personal testimony and sensing that God wanted to use Michael in an incredible and powerful way to share his story so that men would know that abortion affects them too and that there's healing for them. I want you to take a look with me and see how, how Michael responded. Today, my kids would be three and six years old. I like to tell you I can picture them eating cheese pizza, molding red Play-Doh, and because I cuss sometimes, asking questions like, if swear words were invented, then why are we not allowed to say them? <laughs> but they are still dreams that elude me, shadows of the person I once was, a few months ago, my grandma asked me, do you ever think about what the kids' names would be? A sea of anger and regret swelled inside of me at her failure to recognize the courage it takes to be vulnerable. Was I mad? Cause it seemed like she was trying to make me sign my name to my greatest shame. 
or because I'm willing to bury bodies and forget names if it means I can keep mine clean. The first time we waited for the nurse, our shoulders were touching like two pieces from different puzzles. My soul trying to wrestle my stomach into submission but failing. The gasoline taste of guilt and powerlessness you're forced to swallow knowing you helped build a cross that only she can carry because you're a man. Three weeks felt like three seconds had passed since she told me she was pregnant. The second time was the last time I pretended to cry after she called me like a debt collector, asked me for $300. You know the irony? I was on my way to a show to perform a poem about God's redemption. Her next text was a picture of the ultrasound. You know, grief is a mysterious emotion. I know men who still celebrate the birthdays of their lost kids, men who write letters to their children in the sky, men who are open to feeling their pain instead of always intellectualizing it. My therapist asked, how has abortion changed you? And I thought about a scene from The Sopranos when Christopher was explaining to Uncle Polly what the arc of a story is. Everybody starts out somewhere and they do something or something gets done to them and it changes their life. That is the arc of a story. Well, abortion was the first time I grieved my own brokenness. Drained the swamp where I could see my religious elitism clearly. The Loch Ness Monster, I convinced everyone was just urban legend because in my eyes, a woman with kids and no husband was just as lost as a woman who aborted her child. I convinced myself I had this special version of pain that no one else could relate to. But what happens when you try using your delusion as contraception? I got my forearms tattooed on the anniversary of my first abortion. One arm reads, remember me. A plea from a thief being crucified next to Jesus on the other arm was Jesus' response. Today, you will be with me in paradise. I'm a recovering pseudo-moralistic virtue signaler. <laughs> I have a habit of gunslinging words like never and always at them and those people. I still struggle sometimes with judging people based on their actions. Well, I judge myself on my intentions. And my continued prayer is one of sobering gratitude Remember me, Lord, and thank you for allowing me to know brokenness that makes me human. So powerful. Michael, thank you for sharing and allowing me to continue to share that. Um, in 1973, a law passed that changed history. No matter how you feel about Roe v. Wade, most would agree that it was a brick dropped into society causing significant change. And while there were so many people that were fixated on that court decision, there was a tiny team of women in Santa Monica who jumped into action, women who immediately thought about the impact of this decision on society and, and more specifically on the lives of women. Their driving question was how can we help pregnant women as they make these difficult decisions? 
See, their focus was not on people, or sorry, not on politics, it was on people. And in 1976, they opened a hotline and then a small center that grew into what is now Claris Health. And in 2022, another law passed that, that further changed history in the world around us. And here we are still focusing on people, not just women though, also men and children and extended families that are all impacted by these decisions because laws will come and go, but relationships are what's last, what lasts and that's where true transformation occurs. See, every single person in this room impacts those around them. And when you think about the people whose lives you've impacted or who've been impacted by you, what are the photos that come to your mind? As you consider the world around you, who might God be calling you to right now? See, to fully embrace our purpose, we often have to wrestle with this question, why? Why did God create me for such a time as this? And I'll tell you, it's an uncomfortable question, especially in our society where we are daily fed messages to just follow our heart. It's like the theme of Instagram, right? Follow your heart, be happy, chase this, chase that. Well, Jeremiah 17, nine says that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? See, I don't believe that we're called to be passion chasers, but rather purpose seekers. Andy Traub recently said it this way on a podcast. He said, if you can find your purpose in life, the passion will follow. See, our purpose is deeply rooted in who God created us to be and how he uniquely wired us. Our passions are often connected to fleeting desires at the moment. See, lives that are grounded in heavenly purpose have deep roots They are in step with the Father, keeping a kingdom perspective and looking for opportunities to do his work with him. See, wherever you are and whatever place you are called to is filled with people who need you. Whether you're a plumber and thank God for plumbers because we had a leak at my house yesterday and or whether you are a lawyer or a college student or a stay-at-home parent, you are strategically placed to shine a light in your community. And as you go home today and as you wrestle with with this question of why, I encourage you to ask, how am I shining a light in the midst of so much darkness? See, seeking God's purpose for your life doesn't mean that your life will be without trial or hardship. Instead, it allows you to build a solid foundation to weather the storms of your life. I tell you, it will push you out of your comfort zone, but it will produce perseverance. And it encourages you to make decisions even when they're not popular. It sustains you when the criticism comes and it forces you to stay connected to the one true, never failing source. Isaiah 41.10 says, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Yeah, a few years ago, I found myself in, in Malibu, right across from the beautiful Pepperdine campus, but this time we were walking through a muddy, abandoned field looking for a homeless, pregnant woman that, that I'm gonna call Sarah today. And I was there with a task force of police officers and homeless service providers, the Department of Mental Health in the city of Malibu, a team of people all operating in their individual gifts and their calling and on a mission to find this woman and try to help make sure that this baby would be born safely. 
See, Sarah had rejected all of their previous attempts, but they heard that when she came to Claris, she had had this great visit, and we've been able to connect with her, so they reached out and said, would you please go with us and try to help us find her and talk to her? And after about an hour, we found Sarah, and despite my high hopes, our interaction did not go well. She was defensive and suspicious and angry and basically shut me down. And I left feeling as if that effort had completely failed. Um, and I was pulling back onto PCH. I decided to drive back to where I knew her tent was and left a note with my number and a little gift. And a few weeks later, the Malibu sheriff called to let me know that her water broke on the side of PCH and they were taking her to the hospital in an ambulance. And I hesitated what to do considering our last interaction, but eventually I decided to go visit Sarah in the hospital. And, and as I walked into her room, I was shocked that I was greeted with a smile, followed by some tears, and she offered an apology for how she had acted when I found her in Malibu that day. And see, Sarah had remembered my name from that note on her tent, and she remembered that gift, and she said that it meant so much that I was willing to respond that way after how she had been. And, and she told me that she'd been asking the hospital staff to, to contact me, but she was asking for Tequila, not Talitha. And so they were slightly confused, as you can imagine. But other than the fact that she was living in Malibu, Sarah's story is not that unusual. Our city is filled with so much suffering. According to the most recent census, there are now over 75,000 homeless people in Los Angeles County. There are more children in foster care in California than any other state in the country. And the foster care system is often a direct pipeline into homelessness and sex trafficking. But how we cared for Sarah made a huge impression on every member of that task force and that hospital staff. And congregations like this were a part of her story. Some cared for her at the hospital, some contributed financially so we could put her up in a hotel after her C-section. And, and some brought meals and helped her identify resources and others met with her to answer legal questions and try to help her see options for her and for this baby. For a brief time, we became family to Sarah. And family doesn't just show up between the hours of nine and five. Family stands in the gap for each other, even when it's inconvenient and uncomfortable. My last interaction with Sarah happened in a hotel parking lot with my two daughters um, sitting in the back of the car listening intently. And Sarah told me that she was going to go back to the streets. She apologized for rejecting all of our long-term efforts to help. And I could see the struggle in her eyes. She wanted to be a mom, but she was filled with so much fear that she wouldn't be able to make it. And we talked about disappointment and mental illness and addiction. See, I couldn't rescue Sarah and I couldn't force her to choose a life different than she was or try to parent her daughter. And she didn't utilize the resources we put in front of her. And I left that parking lot. I started questioning whether we'd made a difference at all. Maybe I should have just said no when that task force offered or asked me to help. But, but even today, I'm reminded that Sarah's story is not over, just like each and every one of our stories. And I I have to choose to thank God that she welcomed us for just a little while after her delivery. And if Sarah needs help in the future, she knows where to go. And for Sarah's little baby girl, a series of small miracles landed her in the arms of an incredible family, a local pastor in the area who adopted her. Um, she's now five years old. 
So back to that story in Mark 5, that story that started out hopeless, that desperate father, that dead little girl, and that doubting audience. So let's look at verse 36. It says, overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. And then in verse 39, he, Jesus, went in and said to them, why all the commotion and the wailing? The child's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. After he put them out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were there with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Another translation says, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately she stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished and he gave strict orders to not let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. See, in this story, to Jairus' desperation, Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. To the weepers and the wailers, Jesus provides hope and reassurance. He says, why all this commotion? The child isn't dead, she's asleep. To the doubters and the scoffers, Jesus puts them out. Let's don't be the doubters and the scoffers. He puts them out. To the hurting, the believing, and the grieving family, Jesus comes close. I love that he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him. He took those who believed and who held on to that miracle and he went where the child was. And, to the, and when Jesus stared at the lifeless little girl, he touched her. He took her hand and he heals her. He calls her from the dead and he says to her, arise, get up. See, if you're wrestling today with your purpose or the passion needed to pursue your calling, I urge you, lean into Jesus. Let him touch you the way that he revived this little girl. And in doing so, I believe that one day you can look back at your life and we can say, I may not understand the why, God, but I trust you. I trust that you're taking my hand, that you are leading me. And when that occurs, we can start to see that those hardships in our life produced empathy and grace and better decision-making and humility. See, Mark 5 reveals to us that when all hope seems lost, we still have a choice to cling to him, to believe and even to praise him for the challenges. So I leave you today with the word that Jesus proclaimed, arise, little girl, little boy, arise. He loves you. He's calling you to engage the world around you let him break your heart for the things that break his. And let our prayer be, Lord, show us what our purpose is in each and every one of these moments. Arise.